It's good to see you all. It's great to be able to sing praises to God together, to open up his word, to, to pray to him for, for uh, the things that weigh on our hearts. And it's a great thing to be thinking about exciting things during Christmas, right? And yet this morning, I want you to actually think about a time when you felt utterly alone. Not very Christmassy, it doesn't feel like, right? When was that for you, where you felt utterly alone? For me, one of those times was my first year in college. First year, finals week, I was double majoring, taking 24 credit hours that semester on academic scholarship, on music scholarship, and it was Wednesdays, or it was Wednesday of finals week. Uh, I had two finals that day, and in between them, I was facing an academic board for academic misconduct. I was losing my scholarships at an out-of-state school and didn't want to tell my parents about it and wanted to pass my finals. I never felt so alone. And then there is this one guy uh, who was my uh, crew Bible study leader who wanted to remind me that I actually, in facing people who held my college career in, the, in their hands, uh, this one guy wanted to remind me that I actually wasn't alone. And so in times that I felt no one understood what was going on and didn't share with people what was going on, uh, he walked with me to my academic board meeting. He waited for me. He couldn't go inside with me. He waited outside for an hour and a half just so that he could walk back with me to my dorm room. Uh, the presence of people is powerful, right? Uh, the presence of hope really is life transforming. Uh, this morning, I want us to know some of what it means for Jesus to be God with us in every circumstance we could ever face. Do you know what it means to be able to draw near to Jesus, who is God with us in every time of trouble? Well, that's what we want to look at together. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first book in the New Testament. We've been in the book of Isaiah, right? Isaiah 9, where, where we've been looking at all these different titles of this son who has been given to us. And so we've been looking this Christmas Advent season, uh, this series being to us, for to us, right? This child has been born. And, and we've been looking at the title that, that Isaiah gives to, to Jesus, which has been Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Prince of Peace. And this morning, we're gonna look at this title that is given of Jesus, which is God with us. So that's in the book of Matthew, chapter one. If you have a, a Bible app, that works. If you use a, a printed Bible like me, Matthew is the, the, the first book in the New Testament. Or if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay too, because in our sermon notes this morning, uh, you'll actually find the passage that we're gonna be talking about right in here. Uh, so either way, you're able to follow along and, and see what's going on. And because we want you to be able to follow along and, and know the roadmap, we want to give you exactly what we want you to go away with this morning at the very beginning. So if there's anything that we want you to walk away with this morning, it, it's this. Put your joy in Jesus this Christmas. 
Because Jesus came to save, to fulfill, and to be with us. That's what we want. That's what we, we I think Matthew is, is trying to get across in the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so this is what we want you to know. Put your joy in Jesus this Christmas because Jesus came to save, to fulfill, and to be with us. Let's ask God's spirit to work in us as we look at his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by your spirit, quicken our hearts, quicken our minds, so that as we look at Jesus, who is God with us, that we would know him and love him and trust him and understand the significance of him being here. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are only looking at a few verses this morning. Uh, Not a huge chapter, just really four verses. And so if you find Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 20. And here is is, is, uh, where where Matthew, here's where we pick up in verse 20. But as he, uh, this is Joseph, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, I want to look at three things this morning. The first, that Jesus is the virgin-born Emmanuel uh, in verse 23 that we just read. Each week this month, we've been looking at a different title of Jesus as he's described uh, through the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before his birth took place. And the first week, we looked at how Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The second week, we looked at how Jesus is the mighty God. Last Sunday, we looked at how he is the Prince of Peace, and this morning, we're looking at this title, Emmanuel. And usually, sermons build up to the big idea, uh, but this morning, I just want to start right at it. Uh, In describing Jesus' birth, as Isaiah wrote about it hundreds of years before, in Isaiah chapter 7, Matthew quotes it in verse 23, and we read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Which immediately brings a question to my mind and and maybe a question to your mind also. Why is it important that God is with us? Well, God coming to be with us is significant when we realize why this hasn't always been the case before. The coming of Jesus is at the end of this 500-year period of silence from God. The coming of Jesus is where God, all of what God had promised in the Old Testament would be fulfilled in Jesus' coming. In the 500 years silence, there were were no prophets speaking to God's people. Israel had been in exile and they had returned later to their land, but, but spiritually they were still in exile. Israel had been exiled in the first place because they chose to disobey God's word as if He was not with them, as if he was just another option. And so they decided to serve false idols of the people around them 
instead of serving the living God. And, and Israel wasn't even just Israel, right? Israel had been split into two kingdoms because a bunch of the 12 tribes didn't even want the king that God had decided for them, a Davidic king. And so there was a rejection of God's word and ultimately there was a rejection of God himself. But we know that that's not where all of the troubles even started. Before that, God was originally with humanity in the Garden of Eden where God and humanity would walk together in the garden. But we rebelled. We rejected God's word and ultimately we rejected him where we were cast out of the garden and away from God. But, but being kicked out of the garden, it, it came with a promise that God would create a way for us to get back to him. So one great parenting strategy that I've tried to put with my kids uh, is that uh, I put things out of reach uh, up high because I'm taller than they are. Uh, it's not always a, a great strategy for everyone, but for right now it is for me because I'm taller than they are because they're seven and four and one. Uh, but my creative children, even when I put things that I think are out of reach, will cook up ways to get chairs. They'll stand on books to stand on. They'll get anything that they can to get to what I have put away from them, okay? For now, they can't reach so many of those things, no matter how hard they try. That's why the popcorn tin is on top of our china cabinet. Uh, yeah, it is weird. It is weird for now. Uh, but eventually, they, right now, they can't get to it no matter how hard they try. Uh, that's actually similar with God. No matter how hard we try, we can't bring ourselves back to God. Right? We, we, we know that after Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they had children, their first one being Cain, and, and Eve thought that, oh, Cain, well, this is the one who is going to bring us back to God, but Cain couldn't bring us back to God. And then Abraham, the, the, the father of Israel, couldn't bring us back to God. And Moses, the one who delivered Israel out of Egypt, couldn't bring us back to God. David, this king after God's own heart couldn't bring us back to God. And so God realized that he would need to send himself to rescue us. Behold, the virgin conceived and bore a son, and they called his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us is big news when we realize why that is new and so important. And so this passage in Matthew highlights some of the important aspects of Jesus, right? He is fully human. He was born of a woman. He cried despite the, the famous lyrics of the Christmas song. Jesus cooed. He went to bed. He teethed. He got sick. We need to understand that Jesus in his true humanity is God who has come to us. Jesus was born like us. And this is important if Jesus is going to be able to fully identify with us. He's not unlike us. He's not unlike you. He's not unlike me. Jesus is truly representative of us. That means that all of your struggles, physically, mentally, emotionally, Jesus is familiar with your 
sorrows. It's so helpful and comforting to know that Jesus is fully human with us in each struggle. So for example, a common problem among teenagers and parents is that teenagers don't feel like they're being listened to. Any, par- any teenagers want to confirm this? Yeah, yeah. Their parents might hear them, but they aren't listening to them, and therefore they just don't understand, right? But Jesus is never like that with us. So teenager, if you feel like no one understands you, consider this morning how you can actually go to Jesus because he actually does understand you. Of the top three reasons reported for divorce in the United States, communication is number two. Husbands and wives, it is easy to see how you can feel isolated and alone, even when you're married, when trying to communicate to your spouse. Right? They just don't get it. And yet in your struggle, you're not alone. Jesus is able to identify with you. So don't give up. Don't give in to sin. Don't dismiss the call to love your spouse patiently. The passage in Matthew also highlights something supernatural about Jesus' birth, right? Just as we affirm Jesus' humanity, in the same breath we need to affirm that Jesus is fully divine. He is God with us. Jesus' birth points to it being supernatural since Jesus is born of a virgin. Just as Jesus possesses the full range of human characteristics, so Jesus possesses the full range of being divine. And so we see Jesus demonstrating his divinity in his power over sickness in the Gospels, right? His power over nature, his authority over sin. And where is it? Where do we see Jesus' divinity highly or chiefly? In his mission to save his people from their sins. See, the Old Testament shows again and again that, that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot govern ourselves. We cannot fix the mess that we've created. But we need someone from the outside, outside of this dark world, to bring light, to bring salvation to us. You ever wondered if the virgin birth is so important? I had a youth pastor growing up who denied the virgin birth, said it wasn't a big deal. So, so why would I consider it now? Because it kind of is a big deal, actually. Uh, first, it, it, it's in our passage. Therefore, if it's in God's word, it's a big deal. Part of the purpose of the virgin birth is to form the foundation of understanding that salvation doesn't come from humanity, but from God. Salvation is the work of a supernatural God, not the work of natural humanity. We cannot do anything to save ourselves from our sins. God had to step in and save, which is exactly evident in how Jesus entered the world. The incarnation, Jesus who is God with us, it really is the most profound mystery in the whole universe, and yet so important. If Jesus had to come to earth with, without an earthly parent, well, then we would doubt his identity, his ability to identify with us. If Jesus had come through two earthly parents, well, then it would be really hard to imagine how God is with us. God in the flesh, 
Jesus the Messiah has come in the most profound mystery and in the most hopeful of times. So the call for us is to put our joy in Jesus this Christmas because Jesus came to save and to fulfill and to be with us. Let's look at this next part here in verse 22. Jesus is the fulfillment of the divinely inspired scriptures, right? Jesus's birth was planned. It wasn't a last minute audible call on the field in desperation. Jesus's birth from Mary wasn't random. The early church did not just pick a random piece to to try to make up the idea of a virgin birth, but Jesus' birth was was actually the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, who who we've been reading about this entire month of December. Jesus' birth was to fulfill what God had previously announced in his plan. That's what verse 22 says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So then Matthew, who's quoting Isaiah 7, he, he wants us to read the Bible Christologically, meaning with Christ at the center of all that is happening. Jesus is like the key that unlocks the, the, the doors to these hidden rooms of the Old Testament with, with gospel clarity. Jesus being born is God keeping all of his promises in the Old Testament. The Old Testament had its focus on the coming of Jesus. Remember right after Jesus' resurrection? He's walking on the road to Emmaus. Uh, He meets with these two people who are super sad and depressed because Jesus is dead. And and he goes up to them and he's like, well, why are y'all so sad? Uh, If they said y'all. And they're like, are you the only person here who doesn't know what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth had been had been put on a cross. We, we thought he was the Messiah. They're, they're super sad. And he's like, I'm right here, guys. But, and so here, but then here's what, here's what happens. In the midst of their hopes being crushed, Luke 24 says this. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb. They're, they're describing to Jesus what's happening here. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see, meaning Jesus' body is missing. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. The Bible, from beginning to end, focuses on Jesus, his coming, his saving, the saving of his people by his death and resurrection. And so by Jesus being the fulfillment of God's promises, we see that God is always then faithful in his word. What God has promised will be fulfilled. All this took place Matthew writes, to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. This Christmas, we need, therefore, to have bigger hopes than our immediate circumstances. Too often, Christmas is disappointing, right? Because quickly, the new toy that we wanted breaks days after we got it. The headphones that we wanted weren't what we got. 
but instead some cheap version. The diamond that you had hoped he would give you wasn't what you picked out. (laughs) Right? We sing songs of joy, but the same depressing job doesn't change. We can put up as many lights on our houses and yet we can feel dark and alone. Could it be that our hopes are failing because God hasn't promised health and wealth in this life, but eternal joy with him? Could part of our problem be that we think that God has forgotten our needs and has, that has promised something that, that will just never come? We see in our passage that, that God doesn't forget about his promises. Our Christmas celebration must be, must be based on bigger hopes than gifts or families or jobs. It should be based upon God fulfilling his great promises. Consider how Paul understood God to be fulfilling his promises. In, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' birth is a sign that God does not forget his promises. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is also showing that God has not forgotten his promises to save us from our sins, but has proved it at Jesus' resurrection. Do you realize that God has made other promises to us as his people that he has not forgotten about? God is still with us now because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit since Jesus has ascended up into heaven but God promises to return for us. The king is still yet to come again. The power of God is already at work in us who are being saved, but it is not yet fully what he promises it will be. The kingdom of God in Jesus, God with us, ultimately leads us to glory with him. It is a present blessing and a future hope. So right now, because of what Christ has done, people have been delivered from the power of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ and will feel complete restoration when Jesus returns. And that is when even the presence of sin will be no more. So our Christmas hope should be in Jesus' coming. Our Christmas hope should be in his death and resurrection and his guaranteed return for us. If you remember one of the very first gospel promises in Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3, the fall, when, when Adam is blaming it on this woman that God had given him, Eve, and, and Eve is blaming it on the serpent that had deceived her, and, and the blame game is going on. But one of the very first gospel promises in Genesis 3 is that an offspring of a woman will crush the head of the serpent. Well, Matthew Chapter 1, verse 23, Matthew gets that. And so he talks about this offspring of a woman who has come to save his people from their sins, to crush and defeat death 
and sin as promised by God way back in Genesis 3 and will be finally fulfilled ultimately in Jesus' return. So put your joy in Jesus this Christmas because he has come to save and to fulfill the promises of God and to be with us. Well, finally this morning, let's look at how Jesus is the savior of sinners. Verses 20 and 21. We're kind of working backwards in the passage this morning. We see that God, we see that Jesus is God with us. And we took a step back and saw that it was the fulfillment of God's great plan, not a last minute on the field audible in desperation. We, now we take another step back into verses 20 and 21 where we read and, and encounter the most extraordinary miracle in the whole Bible and the most remarkable mystery in the entire universe. This is what happened at the first Christmas. The most profound and unfathomable depths of Christianity our souls ought to be captivated with fascination with what is too often just a familiar story to us. Jesus' birth happened, right, in the midst of scandal. Mary and Joseph were engaged, but Mary was pregnant before she and Joseph could consummate their marriage. You can imagine the thoughts and the emotions of an unexpected pregnancy before any physical relations ha had happened with anyone. The only seeming plausible explanation is that Mary had been with another man. And so in the first century, to separate at that point would have been the equivalence of a divorce. But we read that Mary's pregnancy isn't actually a scandal. She hadn't actually been with someone else. But we read in verse 20, it's from the Holy Spirit. The idea of a virgin birth has now been around for 2,000 years, but, but 2,000 years ago, for Joseph, it was quite unexpected. Can, can I just say for a minute that God is the God? He is still God even in unexpected pregnancies. There can be so much shame around unexpected pregnancy, especially with people who assume certain things about situations. And it may very well be possible that someone today doesn't wait until marriage to consummate their relationship in a way that, that God prescribes. But if there is a pregnancy, even the most unlikely of situations, in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can actually have hope and not fear. God is a God even in the midst of unexpected pregnancies. And children do not derail God's love for you. So in the pressure to hide shame or guilt, uh, I think the call for us is instead to trust God who is with us. I think three ways that we can help one another trust God, even when God is, is in the midst of an unexpected pregnancy, I think we help show the value of that as we give to the Open Arms Pregnancy Center in Cambridge, where they seek to value life even at its most beginning times at conception. I think we can help one another trust God even in unexpected pregnancies when we don't treat unexpected pregnancies as if it were a sin branding people. That's what I did when I was younger, actually. So when I was a kid growing up, there was a girl named Amber. Her family and my family were long-standing families in the church. She and I went to the same elementary school, same junior high, same high school. Uh, and in ninth grade, she got pregnant. 
she did the right thing and carried the baby to term. I did the wrong thing. And when I was 14, I treated her as if I could catch a plague from her. I never said anything to her, but I certainly thought that her walk with, with Jesus was, was done. And that was wrong. I was wrong. I, I looked on Facebook this week just to check up to see how they were doing. She ended up marrying the guy. They serve in a church. Praise the Lord for, for, for their good trust of God, even in the midst of an un, unexpected pregnancy. I think another way we can help one another trust God in the midst of unexpected pregnancies is that if that were to happen in our own congregation, uh, even if those parents had acted sinfully, uh, the baby isn't sin, but a precious gift from God. And we would throw the mom a great baby shower and show her the love of Jesus in a time when she'd be tempted to feel so terrified. Just imagine the, the fear and worry that, that so easily could have taken over Mary. And yet, she trusted God. She treasured the, all that was said to her by the angel, right? This son of Mary was to be called Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. This son given to Mary, this son whom she would give birth to, be, came with a mission to save. That's what it says, is that in verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. But save who? To save his people from their sins. To save his people from the outcome of their sins and the destruction of their sins and, and the enslaving of their sins and the penalty and the power of, the, of our sins. The mission of Jesus from the beginning is to save his people from their sins. His birth highlights even his mission. There's often a misconception about Christians. Christians are not people who don't sin. The Bible's clear that's not the case, right? John writes, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians are simply people who have been saved from our sins. What good news for everyone who will even admit that they aren't perfect. What good news for everyone who will even secretly admit in their heart of hearts uh, that foul play by them has been worse than just imperfection. Because if we are imperfect, then we need a savior. How does Jesus save his people from their sins? Jesus saves by taking judgment in our place as our substitute, taking on the wrath of God for us so that we would be forgiven by God. So when we want to encourage our children to lie and say they've been good to get on the nice list, what we actually need is we need in biblical encouragement to have hope that Jesus has come not to save the nice people, but has come to save people from their sins. Jesus is so much better than Santa. Have you guys been thinking about that this Christmas at all? I have. Santa sees you when you're sleeping. Okay, so does God. Uh, but Santa's love and blessings are only based upon your merit 
And Jesus' love and blessing is based upon his substitutionary death for us. There's no salvation unless we have been sinful. To truly celebrate Christmas is to celebrate salvation in Christ. To truly enjoy Christmas is to focus, to to chew on, to, to treasure Jesus, knowing that he came to save sinners. In fact, the greatest enjoyment of Christmas is when we are treasuring Jesus, God with us, as the fulfillment of God's promise to save us because we can't save ourselves. But there's a a nagging question that we've got to answer. It's very clear that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And so the question is, how do you know you are his? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. But there is a reality. That narrow is the gate of salvation. Wide is the path to destruction. How can we be certain that we are Jesus' people? It doesn't come from what political party you're, you're a part of or what part of the world you come from, or or what your socioeconomic status is, or how religious your family was growing up, or anything else, apart from your response to Jesus. Jesus is not the Savior of good and righteous people. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. We can be God's people if we recognize Jesus as God with us, the only one who can save us, if we understand that Jesus was our perfect sacrifice without sin, but that he himself uh, became sin so that all who repent and believe would become the righteousness of God, we would become part of Jesus' people. So put your joy in Jesus this Christmas because Jesus came to save his people. He came to fulfill the promises of God And he came to be with us. Problems feel 10 times heavier when we face them alone, don't they? Enemies seem so much larger when we feel like we're by ourselves. Walls seem like they are so much higher when we have to climb them by ourselves. But the reality is that God has not left us alone in this world. God has not forgotten his great promises. God has not abandoned us to our own devices. God has sent Jesus to save in the fulfillment of what God had promised hundreds of years before. God sent Jesus to be with us, to live among us, to lead by example, to die in place of sinners, and to be raised from the dead, conquering death and saving people who have been ruined by sin so that we could know him, so we could be reconciled, so that we could have the greatest joy of Christmas, not in glittering packages that break in a month, but in eternal joy that lasts forever. That's what it means, at least in part, for God to be with us in Christ. What a great reality that is. Let's go to our good God and respond to him this morning. Let's, uh, we are called always to, to never hear and do nothing from God's word, 
but, but we are called to, to hear and do God's word. And so let's spend a few moments. Uh, you're welcome to come up to, this, to the front of the stage if you want to pray here. You're welcome to, to, to consider right where you're at in your own chairs, but, but we don't want to leave unexamining our lives as to what do we do in response. What does God want me to do knowing that Jesus, who is God with us, has come to earth to save his people from their sins as promised by God through the prophet Isaiah? What does God want us to do? Let's spend a few moments individually responding to God and then I'll close us in prayer and the, and the band will lead us in another song. We are so grateful that Jesus really is God with us. We are grateful, God, that, that you are not a, a deadbeat dad who makes promises that never delivers on them. But we thank you that every promise has its fulfillment of yes in Jesus. We are grateful, God, that, that Jesus being with us means we no longer are separated from you but can find presence with you forgiveness with you reconciliation with you hope in the midst of any circumstance we face right now we can find hope in you because jesus has come and god we pray that that we would not be distracted by the latest technology or the coolest toys or any other competing aspect of Christmas. Lord, help us to know and enjoy Christmas as it really is. And that is by putting our hope and faith in you. By finding joy in Christmas because Jesus came to save sinners and came to follow up on your promises and came to live among us. God, help us to find eternal reason to hope in you this Christmas, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What good reasons we have to hope this Christmas. What good reasons to celebrate and to praise God for his work, for him fulfilling his promises, and our hope in the midst of every circumstance. If, if you are someone who's not sure if you have hope this Christmas because of Christ, or if you want to know what it means to, for, for that to play out in your life, come talk to me afterward. I'd love to meet with you uh, and find a time where we can, can look at what it means for Jesus to be with us in a way that brings hope to us even today. Well, here are our benediction as we, as we leave this morning from, from Romans 12. From him. And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.